Hey, everybody. Uh, happy Monday to everyone out there. I guess it will be Tuesday when everyone gets this. Uh, so happy Monday and Tuesday to everybody. Uh, this is episode 40 of the Ball and Chain podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mark Thomas. Uh, thank you for joining us and listening to us. I'm coming to you from uh, Southern California. I'll be in Vegas later this week uh, for some uh, excellent partner meetings. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, uh, today and tomorrow, I am here in our West Hollywood office. And uh, excited for some Monday Night Football. I've got my Devonta Adams jersey on. When you're hearing this podcast tomorrow, hopefully it will have been a Packers win and blowout. Uh, and uh, wrapping up the final 10, 12 games of the baseball season. Looking forward to the playoffs uh, for that as well. So, uh, yeah, without further ado, let's uh, kind of dive right into uh, our episode today. I've got a really awesome and cool guest who is working on some very interesting things. Uh, I'd like to welcome Garrett Schwartz from the Gaming Society. How, how are you today, Garrett? Hey, Mark. Uh, thanks for having me on. Doing awesome. Excited for the game as well tonight. We'll see if uh, Aaron Rodgers and the pack bounce back after a, a scary week one. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> lucky for you, you're a Packers fan. I myself is a, a Giants fan, uh, you know, after this past Thursday in the Washington team. Feels like my, my team season is already uh, over this early into the season. <laughs> Uh, don't say that. Like that division, the NFC East, I think is still very winnable for somebody that gets to nine wins. And keep in mind, there's an extra game this year too, right? Um, yeah, I had uh, I had the I had the Washington football team at eleven in my conference pool, so I was really glad for that. And I just, yeah, I mean, you can't have you can't jump off sides there, you know. At the end, I mean, just if they made the field goal on the first try, then you live with it, and you move on. Um, but to have them miss it, jump off sides, and then give them another crack at it. Uh, you just, uh, it's, it's really tough to generally overcome those things in the, in the regular season, but it's not, it's not too late. Yeah, too, yeah. Honestly, probably could not have scripted a more painful ending to a game as a sports fan, but uh, nonetheless, right. really excited to be on. Um, look, I think what you guys are building at Zen sports and gaming society, we're both looking at this uh, really exciting category of sports betting in a way uh, that's unique. You guys really tapping into the social lever of the category i think sports betting is inherently social so um you know i think we view that the same as gaming society and i think too what you guys are doing i'm excited to chat more about uh is you know presenting sports betting in a way that is a little bit more digestible and a little bit more easy and simpler to understand um for again a category that up until three years ago uh was entirely foreign uh to most sports fans in the u.s yeah exactly i mean it's really kind of remarkable how quickly it has accelerated in the last few years since PASPA got struck down. Kind of took a little bit of time, the first six months to first six, nine months to get going. And then once it did from like early 2019 to now, it's just been uh, an accelerant. And then it, it, it's to the point where, you know, like for us in California uh, and obviously those in places like Texas and Florida that don't have it yet, you know, but, you know, I hear, I have people all the time coming up to me saying, I, I don't understand. Why is it not legal here? Like, what's going on? It's like, it feels like it's legal everywhere else, uh, especially, you know, the other more populous states. Um, so it's uh, it's a little frustrating that, for example, California uh, and, you know, Texas and, and Florida really haven't been able to get their act together on that. I mean, it's free tax revenue. It's all additive uh, in terms of uh, the revenues that they could get from it. So, yeah, really hope, uh, really hope they can get it going because, I mean, it's it's moving like gangbusters in the rest of the in the rest of the country. No, yeah, no, absolutely. Right. I'm uh, living in California, but from South Florida. So I know Florida passed some legislation and, uh, you know, they'll, they'll be there soon. Yeah. But um, but look, I think just the general sentiment that betting is is still really new, even for the states that came online three years ago in Pennsylvania, New Jersey. Uh, and there's still 
um, you know, a handful of others coming online in the next couple of months. Um, the idea that there's a need in the category um, for brands and, and companies and people on platforms to, to make sports betting um, more accessible, more approachable, more inclusive and easier to understand. We really believe there's a strong demand for that because uh, at the end of the day, again, betting just uh, is a foreign language for a lot of people, um, even active sports bettors. You know, we forget the way of placing a bet uh, up until, again, a couple of years ago was through a verbal exchange with a bookie, right? Who uh, oftentimes uh, presented as a filter as a way of placing a bet. So even active sports bettors and people who have been placing bets for decades, um, you know, we, we found that they're struggling with betting terminology, lines and odds as well, as they're now transitioning to online legal platforms, uh, where again, betting is kind of presented in official terms of terminology, lines and odds. But again, it's, uh, it's an entirely visual presentation when, um, again, before it was really this, this verbal exchange outside of Vegas and Atlantic City. Yeah, no, 100%. It's moving quickly, uh, not just in terms of just being online, but, you know, in terms of the mobile uh, features and setup, uh, completely agree with you that it's moving quickly than, you know, like in the case of Sports, you know, even going beyond that and offering things like peer-to-peer uh, and creating your own bets with your own odds and, and cryptocurrency piece like we do. I mean, it's uh, it's pretty it's pretty neat how fast it's uh you know, the evolution of it is, is, is going through. So why don't we uh, kind of kick into gear here, what you're doing at Gaming Society. Tell our listening audience, what is it all about? What does the Gaming Society do? Uh, what do you do in your role there uh, at the Gaming Society? Um, and uh, what it's all about? You got it. Uh, so Gaming Society is a content and gamification platform, really looking to democratize sports betting for all sports fans, you know, like we were just talking about, uh, it's easy to forget that up until three years ago, sports betting didn't exist outside of two cities in the U.S. And here we are today, legal in over 30 states, sports books inside pro sports arenas, uh, turning on your television and betting, whether in the broadcast or through advertising, a part of pretty much every single sports programming you could find. But despite the fact that betting is growing so rapidly, um, and, and millions of more fans are having access to sports betting, it really doesn't make up for the fact that we believe uh, the category still is intimidating, inaccessible, and difficult to understand for most fans. So what Gaming Society is looking to do, again, through content and gamification, is really pull three key levers to try and onboard who we believe is the 85 million fans interested in the category, but either, again, aren't haven't made the step to join it yet, or, again, are part of the space and just still are struggling with some of the, the terminology lines and odds to dive in even further. Uh, the first lever that we're really looking to pull at Gaming Society is inserting the athlete point of view into the equation. Uh, Kevin Garnett is one of our co-founders. Um, he's kind of championing this movement. But at the end of the day, we really believe uh, professional athletes know the game that sports bettors are placing bets on better than anyone. And even more importantly, uh, because pro athletes were shielded uh, from sports betting throughout the duration of their playing careers, they're incredibly relatable to the millions of fans learning to bet because professional athletes, again, are learning to bet in real time as well. So they're uh, relatable and helping onboard fans. The second lever that's really important to us is education. We really believe that uh, whether you're an active better or a new fan, there's a, a lot of room to grow in terms of giving sports bettors and interested fans the tools and knowledge to be successful in this space. And the very first product we're getting uh, or we're building at Gaming Society is called the Betting Academy which will be a, a half master class in betting, again, teaching people how to bet 
as well as a simulated free-to-play betting experience um, to kind of intro fans in a responsible format. Uh, and I would say the third level of what we're doing is um, trying to create a fan-forward voice in this space. And what I mean by that is uh, creating content and speaking to fans in a way that doesn't just resonate with an active better, but pretty much every sports fan. You know, I really believe that sports betting, whether or not you bet, just makes sports more interesting, right? It contextualizes the storylines around your favorite teams and leagues. So by creating a voice that's more inclusive, more accessible, um, and just highlights the fun of betting, um, we really believe, again, at Gaming Society, uh, that we can onboard the millions of fans interested in the category that are left on the sidelines. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, what's interesting is that, you know, I know a lot of current athletes obviously can't touch any gaming or gambling products with like a 10 foot pole because, uh, you know, just the, the improprietaries uh, and the credibility uh, that would go into that. And obviously the leagues ban that. Um, but former athletes are, are certainly always on the table, um, you know, as well as, you know, other athletes that um, might be in things like poker and so forth. So, yeah, how do you look at that part of the category? Um, you know, I mean, it's obviously, you know, Drew Brees is doing commercials for, uh, gaming products. Uh, you mentioned Kevin Garnett is uh, involved with this um, and, and other athletes as well too. So how do you how do you look at um, the athlete relationship with gaming and gambling products? Um, you know, both from a standpoint of how they can be involved to what is their desire to be involved with these products. Uh, I'm pretty curious to understand you know, what that landscape looks like, because I think that's the, that's the part that's always been kind of very taboo. And obviously with, with current athletes, they can't do anything uh, or be involved with these types of products or companies. You know, look, that's a, a really great question. And, and again, one that's really important to us at Gaming Society. So I mentioned Kevin Garnett being a co-founder of our company. Uh, the other co-founder is Jamie Messler, uh, who worked for a long time in athlete representation and also co-founded the Players Tribune with Derek Jeter. Um, and, you know, her company there kind of champion, right, including the athlete voice in terms of storytelling and content creation. Um, at the time, when it came to creating content and media, obviously, the industry has, has pivoted a lot since then with a lot of athletes having their own production arms and whatnot. But at the time, uh, you know, media was another industry being built off athletes' backs. And I think that's what you're kind of seeing in sports betting now, uh, right? Everywhere you look in the sports arena, whether that's with teams, with leagues, with media companies, everyone is kind of striking deals with sports books and, and kind of reaping the benefits of this wildly rapidly growing industry. But athletes, once again, are kind of late to the game. And that's kind of exacerbated by the fact that, like you said, Mark, uh, sports betting is really taboo for the duration of their playing careers. So for us, in terms of how we can kind of change that narrative and make it or find a way that athletes can begin to monetize and contribute and be included in this category, when again, the teams and leagues that they're playing for are, uh, we have a couple of ideas. Uh, gaming society, look, in terms of at the very base, what you're, we're doing, what you're seeing across the entire sports ecosystem, which is using the voice of pro professional athletes through content. Um, but what I think is really important is, you know, when you see NBA on TNT with Charles Barkley and Kenny Smith and they're making picks, mm -hmm. um, you know, we're not necessarily just looking at athletes as pick givers, right? We want them to just be able to talk sports and again, be able to relate to fans in a way that they're also learning to bet in real time. Um, what's also different with gaming society, and I think what really separates us is we're not just looking at athletes as marketers and content creators, but rather we're really championing them as decision makers in the industry. 
I mentioned Kevin being a co-founder of our company. Uh, Marissa Coleman, who's a 10 plus year WNBA veteran, uh, is leading our business development. She actually helped chair the campaign in Maryland to legalize sports betting. Uh, Michael Vick, who's the co-host of our uh, flagship podcast, The Gaming Society Show, is an advisor to the company and he's helped uh, already bring in a ton of different athletes on board. But we really believe that athletes shouldn't just be, again, held to making picks and giving analysis. They should be the key decision makers um, in, the, in the industry. And look, part of that leadership process does turn to what you alluded to early, earlier in current athletes. You know, obviously, we don't want to see current athletes uh, making bets or even giving out analysis or insights right. on games that they're playing in. But again, it's really hard when you look at current athletes and right, the teams and the arenas that they're playing in are sponsored by sportsbooks. If the teams and leagues can make money, shouldn't there be a way that athletes can contribute in this space as well? So look, uh, I also forgot to mention one of Gaming Society's advisors uh, is Neko Agumike, uh, who plays for the LA Sparks and the head of the WNBA Players Association. And between Kevin and NECA, we're really helping to, uh, or we're really trying to de-blur those lines of sports betting and athlete participation um, and trying to find meaningful ways um, that they can help expand the category uh, in a relatable and responsible way. Right. And so you talk about like, you know, stadiums and arenas now starting to have, uh, you know, not just sponsorships or names of arenas or places named after these, um, you know, sports betting companies, but also actually the betting kiosks or the betting uh, counters for people to actually bet on. And so what do you think the future of the in-game um, or in attendance um, or even on TV experience is going to be like um, as those lines start to, you know, as the blurring of those lines start to be removed? What, what do you look at as how that's all going to fit in together? Are we going to be having alternate broadcasts uh, when you watch a game and you can watch the, you know, the sports betting uh, slash gambling uh, version of the, of the broadcast, just like, you know, you can watch the Peyton Manning version of Monday Night Football with uh, his brother. Uh, are you going to, you know, see, I guess, betting from your seat, uh, you know, in stadiums? I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts are of, of how those lines start to, you know, get de-blurred over uh, time. Yeah. So look, I think how I would answer that question, even just six months or a year ago, would be totally different than now, because the truth is, you know, sports betting kind of entering the mainstream fan experience really is already here, right? There are sports books now inside arenas, right? We're going to see one in Arizona um, coming online in the next couple of months. Uh, in terms of television broadcasts, we're already starting to see um, those alternative feeds, right? With FanDuel and the NBA. Um, so I, I think the next step in terms of um, the de-blurring of the lines is, again, playing into the fact that uh, on television or in arenas, you're not just speaking to um, an active core sports better or someone who's been betting for a decade and really understands the terminology and the lines and odds. But again, you're starting to reach and engage and expose the category to millions of fans who really want to have more, uh, who want skin in the game, who want to interact more around their favorite teams and leagues. But um, it just feels too foreign to them. So I think the next step is really looking at a way to make sports betting um, more inclusive and, and accessible, right? It's, it's maybe um, looking at prop bets, things that are maybe a little bit more uh, casual and could be framed more easily as questions um, and really making the, the presentation of sports in a more granular category, where again, the casual fan who maybe might not understand the, sport, the point spread right away or may not understand the implications of uh, money line odds um, can get in the action sooner. Um, and I think also, too, you're going to see teams and leagues really prioritizing 
um, the, respo uh, the responsible and educational emphasis uh, of sports betting, making sure that as they are partnering with sports books and, and reaping uh, the sponsorship dollars that come up in with it, they want to make sure that they're being uh, responsible and making sure that their fan base um, you know, is, is engaging in a way that they can be successful on these platforms. And so is that what you're doing with the betting academy? Is that going to be like a crash course in what all the terminology is and how to place bets and just the basics of betting? Totally. So I would think of the betting academy is kind of like a half master class and, and a half simulated betting experience. So we're creating almost like Duolingo like type courses uh, where we want to be giving every sports fan, again, the tools to learn how to bet from the betting basics. What is a point spread? What is a money line? What's an over under? Uh, to even the strategies that sharks would want to use, right? So what is positive EV? Um, what does it mean when public money is on one side of the line, but sharp money is on the other? Um, we really believe that across the board for even the most experienced bettors, um, there is room to improve and be more sophisticated in the category. Um, the grand vision of the Betting Academy, which uh, should be launching by the end of football season, will also include the second half, which is what I was alluding to earlier, uh, a simulated free-to-play betting experience where fans can place bets, uh, again, without risking real money on the line and do so in a way with a, a simple UI, a simple UX, getting rid of that classic three-by-two presentation of the board on traditional sportsbook platforms uh, and giving fans the opportunity to earn points, rewards, and prizes um, that are entirely unique and different from real money betting platforms. Cool. And so are you building out technology to allow people to do that in a streamlined way, or is it going to be more manual? Are you going to leverage other platforms uh, for that? How's that going to look? Totally. So everything we do, um, there's a gamification component, but there's also a content component. So with the Betting Academy, uh, you're going to see the vertical living in a lot of ways. Uh, we've launched two newsletters, uh, one, the GS Report, and one, the Bet on Women newsletter. Within both of those, there's a betting academy section, which again is a real emphasis on a sports betting teaching moment tied to a big storyline, um, whether it's in women's sports or sports at large. Uh, in our flagship show with Michael Vick and Dave Anderson, uh, each week there's a section in that podcast uh, labeled the betting academy, where again, Dave Anderson kind of as a sports betting unicorn, uh, a former NFL wide receiver turned betting sharp is able to translate uh, you know, football analysis and insight into sports betting insights and applications. Uh, and finally, with the betting academy itself, um, it will ultimately be a mobile app um, that fans, you know, can be using again to learn and place bets. Um, but it will slowly be teasing out probably by the end of the month um, on our website. That's awesome. And so what do you look at as the biggest challenge to getting, um, you know, I guess people like to sign up for uh, whether it be a newsletter or for a, a masterclass or, you know, any kind of uh, informational material, if they're not already kind of really sold on, on sports betting, if they're not big sports betters already, because obviously people that are already into sports betting, you know, they probably are out there actively seeking to find content to help them with their game. And even if they have models and stuff like that, uh, that they themselves use, I mean, they may always want some additional information to augment that. But I don't know, take, uh, for example, uh, like my sister, she may not gamble or bet on sports at all. How do you reach out to her and get her excited to want to just consume this content in the first place, which is really kind of the first step to being then excited about, you know, potentially betting on sports? Yeah, so I, I think you're I think you're spot on, right? I, I think it is naive to assume that 
you know, the millions of sports fans out there are going to go out of their way to engage with betting content when um, they're not already uh, immersed in the space. Um, and especially, the, so the case, if you kind of look at the betting platforms and brands who are out there, uh, if you look at the competitive landscape, when you read a betting newsletter or a betting article or a betting podcast, um, they're all kind of the same. They're very um, dense with betting jargon. They lean really heavily into data and insights, uh, but essentially they're targeting the same demographic, which is the, the core sharp sports better. Our approach is a little bit different, which is that, you know, again, we want to reach fans who are interested in sports betting, but it may not be there yet. And the way in which we're going to do that is leaning into the fact that sports bettors are just really big sports fans. And there are ways of talking about the biggest storylines in sports and the teams and leagues that everyone cares about through a sports betting lens without necessarily giving out picks or, or focusing on the way to win money, but rather if we can talk sports through a lens of sports betting while still leaning into all the same levers of why people love to bet beyond making money, meaning the social implications, the reason of making the games you're already watching more exciting, we believe we can lure that fan. In. And I'll, I'll give you just a couple of examples. If we're looking at a, at a big game, right? I, so th the easiest way in and what probably is most appealing to a core sports better is what's the sharp edge and what's the pick? But if you're just a sports fan in general, there's so many sports betting storylines that could be relevant to you, such as where's the public money at? And what do the fans think about who's going to win the game? What are the futures odds about the teams playing in the game? And what are the sports books? How do the sports books think that the season is going to play out for the two teams in a matchup? What are prop bet? What are the prop bet lines and odds within a game? And just again, how is it the storytelling in there that tells you about how a specific player in each matchup is going to perform? Uh, based on the sportsbook expectations for an upcoming game. So again, we think sports betting in itself is just a, an interesting way in contextualizing uh, the favorite storylines, teams and leagues that fans care about, regardless of whether or not you're a sports better. And would you kind of, I mean, maybe to also go in a little bit of a different direction, you know, look at like human interest stories in the sports world and how that might impact the game. Like, I mean, I just, of course, as a Packers fan, you know, you know, after Brett Favre's dad passed away and he came out and had one of the best games ever in his life, you know, that day, um, you know, I mean, I, it seems to me like you could, you know, play on some of that or, or on the opposite end, like, you know, some of the drama that's been going on with Aaron Rodgers in the offseason and them coming out and stinking up the joint in week one because maybe they were not focused and stuff like that. You know, do you think of like, you know, possibly tying those angles in together as well? Absolutely. And look, that's what Kevin is really passionate about, finding ways to kind of give a heartbeat uh, to the data and analytics and instead of leaning on some of the things you were talking about uh, that maybe an athlete could provide unique uh, insight and analysis into, whether it's uh, the referees uh, who are officiating a game or playing inside a specific stadium or an athlete knowing the nightlife tendencies, right, of, right. of certain athletes in the upcoming game. <laughs> so there's totally ways, um, again, to kind of provide that qualitative, uh, unique athlete POV um, in a way that's relevant, not just, again, to a sports better but interesting to a fan in itself. I think every fan wants to know how uh, Aaron Rodgers' Hawaii getaway is going to impact his upcoming right. season, right? Right. And what's kind of the most common question or two that you get from novice sports bettors or ones that are maybe like, 
very rarely have ever placed a bet, but they're kind of like wanting to dip their toes in the water and get a feel for it. Or, or they you know, might submit their email to inquire about it, uh, about one of your classes or newsletters or whatever. Do you, do you get any questions that come up frequently from time to time, um, you know, that you see over and over again? Or what is, uh, you know, are they, are they just, just lapping up everything you say and they're, they're pretty just, you know, passive and, and wanting to hear what you have to say? Yeah, look, I would say that some of the biggest questions you get from new bettors are, uh, are, are, are really just centered around the landscape, meaning where can you bet? I, I think a lot of people mm-hmm. see ads for FanDuel and DraftKings, but don't necessarily know that uh, that's a place where... I got to uh, stop you right there for a second and say, I, I, I mean, I just was talking about this with someone the other day, and he's like, why am I seeing these ads for all these sports betting products and I can't even bet in my state? Totally right. The blurring of the lines between sports books and daily fantasy, um, and what you know, consumers are making of these big brands that have been out there for now close to a decade, but are just suddenly sports betting brands. I think there's a lot of confusion there. I mean, like you said, especially in states where betting is yet to come online. Um, and I think the second question we get a lot, which I think is an important one, is. Uh, is there a minimum amount that you have to bet in order to participate in the category? Uh, From my research back at my Fox Sports days, what I found is that most fans are really comfortable putting a figure as low as $1 or $5 or $10 in the line. But, you know, sports betting, the American odd system is based on a $100 bet. Mm -hmm. So that in itself is incredibly off-putting to a new better. When again, there there really is no limit how much you need to be wagering on these platforms, and that's you should only be doing love, so in a responsible way. That's why I love decimal odds. <laughs> uh, I, I'm a big decimal odds uh, user uh, in terms of like you know how I look at lines. I just think it's easier to figure it out because you just simply multiply uh, your bet about by that amount, and that's how much you're you know going to get back. Um, and yeah, it can be for a one dollar bet, and you know exactly what you're going to get back versus. Uh, the system of a hundred dollars is, I think, I don't know. I just find, I mean, we do both within Zen sports. We have for both op- options, but I just find it super confusing. The, you know, the American odds format. I just, I, I, I've just really never understood the concept of it. No, completely. And, and you know, another format that, that I found uh, resonates more with or, or more broadly is um, fractional odds for the reason being that horse racing has been around, right. For, uh, decades while sports betting hasn't. So seeing four to one or 10 to one or seven to two, uh, a lot of times is easier to understand and interpret than certainly American odds. Um, but de- I think decimal odds is, is also a, an interesting alternative. Yeah, for sure. So it looks like you're doing some really interesting things with, uh, you know, getting uh, women more into sports betting. And uh, I mean, I think it, it doesn't even require that much uh, research to realize that this is a very male dominated industry from a customer demographic standpoint and, you know, who works at these companies standpoint and just kind of everything. Um, and so, I mean, this industry really could use, you know, definitely you know, a lot more uh, uh, female uh, balance in it. So you're doing something at the Gaming Society called Bet on Women, both newsletter um, and a campaign. And so can you tell us more about what that exactly is all about? Yeah, Bet on Women essentially uh, is something that Jamie, our co-founder, it's been her, her <laughs> what she has probably been most passionate about in building the whole company. And again, it's the idea of uh, not only how can you make the category more inclusive for women's sports fans, but how can you use sports betting and gamification to propel women's sports forward? You know, when you look at women's sports, and especially when you compare them to men's sports, 
they're oftentimes an afterthought in terms of uh, innovation, right? Um, when you look at media rights deals, you know, women's sports leagues are often relegated to DTC or streaming platforms. Um, when you look in, at sports betting, uh, so far, that hasn't been very different. Um, you know, I think PointsBet became the very first sports book to announce an official league partnership with the Women's Sports League this season with the WNBA. Um, but if you kind of play around on the different betting platforms, um, and especially looking at placing bets on the women's sports leagues, uh, other than the very basic point spread money line over under for some of these games, finding uh, opportunities and markets to place bets are very sparse. Um, so we really believe at Gaming Society that, look, while betting has uh, grown so much in the U.S. over the last three years, it still is a very nascent, rapidly growing category. And if we can prioritize uh, women's sports and put women's sports at the forefront of the category by incentivizing uh, bettors to literally bet on women, we believe that sports betting could be a solution to driving engagement, driving new audience, and driving revenue um, to a lot of these women's sports leagues that, again, have been hesitant or reticent um, in the past in embracing uh, innovation. So Gaming Society has partnered with uh, the WNBA Players Association, uh, as well as one team partners um, to do just that, to, uh, to incentivize um, bettors to bet on women, to incentivize fans to bet on women by creating uh, and shining visibility on the incredible athletes of women's sports um, and doing so in a way that could really propel um, those teams and leagues. Got it. So it's not just necessarily about uh, getting women to bet on sports more, although it certainly could be a byproduct, but it's also really much as much about uh, helping, you know, drive engagement to uh, women's sports, as well as, of course, additional revenue streams and opportunities for them. And then from that, because, you know, if, uh, you know, if, if the WNBA has more sports betting partners and more interest on betting on, uh, you know, for example, WNBA, then that could in turn also drive more female uh, participants into the actual sports betting industry itself. Yeah, I, I think both of those are spot on. I think by pushing the betting narrative and the embrace of sports betting and with women's sports teams and leagues, it's not just going to lead to more engagement, but it, it could lead to more innovation um, across the entire industry. And I'll just give you an example. Sue Bird wrote an article about five years ago on the Players Tribune, kind of calling out the W and a lot of these women's sports leagues for inadequate data and analytics tools compared to the men's leagues, you know, in terms of improving team performance, um, things of that nature. Um, that lack of infrastructure with the data and analytics capabilities extends the sports betting, right? A lot of the sports books aren't providing lines and odds because uh, the research and numbers required to create the betting markets simply doesn't exist. So by leaning into sports betting, it couldn't just be a solve for engagement and revenue, but it could also force these, um, these women's sports teams and leagues uh, to kind of embrace some of the other gaps that they've had in terms of the very basic infrastructure of the leagues themselves. Um, the second thing that you touched on too, I also think is really important, which is that uh, not only do we want to drive new audience to these women's teams and leagues, but how can we onboard, in our opinion, the incredibly undeserved but passionate uh, fans of women's sports into the sports betting category. Uh, you know, there, when you look around in terms of gaming solutions that's out there in women's sports, again, there's not a lot of options on sports books. At the same time, when it comes to fantasy sports, you really can't find uh, many, if any, solutions out there in terms of 
uh, gamification in women's sports. Uh, but when you look at the demographic makeup of the fan base of women's sports, um, you know, we find that they are incredibly social. We find that they are incredibly tech and digitally savvy, right? They're used to watching their favorite teams and leagues on DTC services. And when given the opportunity, especially when tied to a political or social movement, um, they are willing to double down and invest in their fandom. Think of the orange hoodie movement in the WNBA or the women across the, uh, the movement across the country tied to the U.S. women's national soccer team. Um, so we really believe that it's an audience, while maybe sheer in size compared to the men's leagues, is very much primed um, in terms of being interested uh, in, in sports betting if given the attention and the opportunity um, to literally bet on women. Nice, nice. That's really cool. So your official title at the Gaming Society is Head of Strategy and Analytics. So what do you specifically focus on within your job there? So that's a great question. And frankly, uh, at a small early stage company, uh, it could mean a lot of things. But uh, <laughs> if I had to boil it down, um, I, you know, my job essentially is to really understand our audience, um, who I think I said earlier is the 85 million uh, both active and interested fans of sports betting and using uh, those insights and data we gather from our audience, as well as even anecdotes from speaking to, uh, you know, interested consumers and consumers and using those insights to kind of drive both our content strategy, as well as a lot of our business decisions uh, and business development, forming partnerships with teams, leagues, media companies, and sports books. Cool. And then you were at Fox Sports for a few years before that, and you got to work on some pretty exciting things like the Super Bowl uh, and other pretty big events. So walk us through what that was like. And I'd love to kind of know why, you know, if you're kind of working at some really amazing things at a company like Fox, just kind of curious what prompted you to go to a much smaller startup uh, and a company just getting off the ground like Gaming Society. Yeah. So look, I, I was I was really fortunate um, to even before Fox to have went to college at the University of Southern California, um, which is in the number one or I guess compared to New York, number two media entertainment market in the world. And work, being in the journalism school there, I just had incredible access to some of the most talented um, minds, again, in the entire industry. Um, going to school there kind of led naturally uh, through a big USC alumni network to uh, my first opportunity at Fox Sports. I actually started off uh, in production there. My first gig was uh, as an intern on Colin Coward's show, The Herd. Colin is one of the smartest, most talented people in the entire industry. Um, and then again, quickly transition uh, into my first full-time job into kind of a strategy uh, research role where similar to my job at Gaming Society, uh, my job was to really understand audience. Who is the Fox Sports viewer? Um, what drives them to Fox Sports' biggest platforms uh, and what keeps them away. Uh, and like you said at the top, I got to work on some of the coolest events in all of sports from the NFL to Major League Baseball to the major collegiate conferences, specifically the Big Ten, Pac-12 and Big 12. Uh, I got to work on a really awesome project tied to the Super Bowl um, and the actually the halftime show. Uh, but honestly, where I was most immersed in my time at Fox, especially near the end, is was tied to the sports betting category. It was just fortuitous that at the time that I was in their strategy and analytics group, uh, it was the time that, that you know they were the very first media company to try and launch their very first sports book. So they kind of pegged me as the uh, the research lead in that group to again travel around the country, go from home to home, sit in on focus groups 
uh, create surveys and quantitative research to really try and understand who is the sports better and who is the fan interested in betting that isn't there yet. Um, I was really lucky. And again, I feel really privileged to have been in a place as wonderful as Fox and have been given, given the tools to frankly get smart about um, a rapidly uh, growing and exciting category. And look, in terms of what led me to leave, it wasn't so much uh, anything against Fox as, as, more, as much as, as I was being exposed to this category of sports betting. I was just excited by the growth and opportunity there. And, and a lot of the insights that I found in my research um, again, the, the knowledge and education gap tied to this space, the reason that fans love to bet for reasons beyond making money, but again, the social drivers, the, the drivers of doubling down on their fandom, totally aligned with what Jamie was building at Gaming Society. Um, and it really just felt like a perfect fit. And um, again, just uh, really excited at Gaming Society to continue innovating around this uh, rapidly growing category. So one question I've always been curious about, I don't know if you're you know, uh, in a position to answer, but I would love to know if you are. <clears throat> I've always found it interesting that Fox is like really the only media company that created their own sports betting app. So they have Fox Bet for those out there that don't know this. CBS, NBC, ESPN, all the others, they've completely shied away from officially offering their own betting app. Um, but of course they've partnered and, you know, uh, you know, have advertisers in the sports betting space all over the place. So why is it that Fox um, was so aggressive in going out and starting their own sports betting app itself. But then all these other networks that are still so very, you know, obviously tied into the sports and sports betting space, maybe on the partnership side, decided to shy away from them or haven't offered their own sports betting apps yet. Yeah, look, I'll say, I think it's definitely within the Fox culture to push the envelope. Uh, you know, they were the company that came up with the, the yellow first down line uh, mm -hmm. when watching the football game and television uh, the same goes for uh, their, their hockey broadcast. So I think, in, again, being progressive with regard to sports betting, I think they just had the luxury of, you know, with compared to Disney not being, uh, or sorry, ESPN not being a Walt Disney company, which, uh, again, we have, it's crazy to think now, but, you know, three years ago, sports betting, even though it was getting legalized, was truly was taboo. Um, so Fox, and again, just in its DNA, probably had the ability to be, a little bit more aggressive in the category. The other thing I'll say too is, you know, here we are again, three years from the time that Fox made the decision to launch Foxbet. And each of those kind of major networks that you outlaid earlier, CBS, NBC, Disney have kind of made drastically different decisions to embrace DTC plays, right? Uh, ESPN obviously has ESPN Plus and Disney Plus. NBC has launched Peacock, CBS has CBS All Access. Fox hasn't uh, necessarily launched a straight direct-to-consumer media um, platform uh, that is on the sports side. However, you could make the argument that sports betting is that solved for them, right? It is that direct-to-consumer platform um, that all the networks have, have bought into in terms of their bigger strategy. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I completely agree with that. I mean, I think they've always pushed the envelope, you know, in terms of everything that they've done, not even just in sports, but also in, you know, other content and stuff that they produce too. So uh, I, I pretty much echo exactly like what you're saying there, which I think is cool. So what do you think is, um, you know, obviously you're working on some really, I think, super uh, unique ways of driving sports betting content um, and eventually, you know, um, you know, ways for people to learn about sports betting uh, at Gaming Society. What do you think are some of the other things 
that uh, you can talk about whether it be roadmap items or other things that could be done, you know, just in general within the sports betting industry to, to make it um, uh, just, I'd say more accessible is probably it. I mean, is it, is it more so on the legal side? Is it more so on the product side? Is it more so on the content side? I mean, what, what is one thing this industry can do to just start making this so much better and easier for people that want to bet on sports where they can't do it right now? So I, I think I'll, I'm going to answer that question uh, a little ironic um, in the sense that my company is being built by a woman sports executive and a professional athlete. You know, two demographics uh, you could argue are extremely underrepresented, uh, not just in the betting category, but across all of sports. And I think when it comes to growing a new industry or reaching new audience, I think the only way you need you can do that is by embracing the diversity of thought. Um, so, look, I, I am a, a white male. I am only one of two at Gaming Society, um, and I, I think, look, if you want to make the category more inclusive and more accessible and reach a broader audience, that you need thought leaders at the very highest highest levels at your company, and you need decision makers um, who can pave that way and pave that charge. So, uh, again, I, it's, uh, it's strange for me to be giving that answer, but. Um, again, coming from Fox to now Gaming Society, uh, it's something I could truly appreciate under the leadership of Jamie and Kevin. No, I think that's a, that's an amazing answer. I mean, it's it, we definitely need more diversity, um, and that goes even beyond women into you know other categories like LGBT um, and uh, other you know races and ethnicities. You know, uh, bringing the diversity into uh, leadership positions uh, within sports-run companies, right? Uh, so, I mean, obviously, I think we have reasonably good diversity in the sports and the athletes themselves. Um, but of course, women's sports, I think definitely, you know, could use a boost and hopefully a lot of the things that you're doing um, at Gaming Society will help with that. But I think also just within the industry, you know, just kind of, I'm also a white male here, uh, although I, you know, I'm, uh, you know, in the LGBT category myself, but I, I think that more diversity in leadership positions at these companies um, would also be, you know, ideal. Uh, and it sounds like you guys are doing that at Gaming Society, which is uh, amazing uh, so that, you know, those types of different ideas and thoughts uh, can be brought to the table versus just the same way of doing things that, uh, as to how things were done 30 years ago. Uh, and I think, um, you know, definitely I see, you know, for example, like in the casino industry, they're definitely hurting to reach, you know, younger demographics. And I think part of the problem there is you got, again, the same people sitting around uh, the board table uh, that were running things 20, 30, 40 years ago, uh, and not really understanding how to reach, you know, new generations and, uh, uh, and other, you know, diversified categories. And so I uh, totally agree with you there that, you know, a lot of the diversification, um, you know, that, uh, that you're working on is also, you know, hopefully what we'll see in other companies uh, within the space as well. So, uh, Garrett, I mean, this has been a really awesome uh, conversation. Uh, I love what you guys are working on. I think you're doing some really innovative and unique things and to hopefully, you know, bring uh, not just sports betting, but also sports to, you know, more people uh, and, uh, you know, continue to show how, how fun sports betting can be and, and, and the entertainment it brings and uh, the engagement it brings uh, to athletes and to sports organizations. So, you know, thanks so much again for being on the podcast. Uh, Really appreciate it. And uh, and lastly, uh, how can uh, how can people check out the Gaming Society? Where can they go uh, to find the Gaming Society and or you? 
Yeah. Uh, so first again, thanks. Thanks so much for having me on, Mark. Really enjoyed the conversation. And I hope, you know, a handful of months down the line, uh, we could chat again. And I'm sure a lot will have changed uh, as we've seen how fast this category is growing. But uh, yeah, to check out Gaming Society, uh, definitely sign up for our two newsletters, which you could do so at thegamingsociety.com. Uh, and also check out our flagship uh, NFL show with, again, Michael Vick and Dave Anderson, The Gaming Society Show. You can subscribe on pretty much any podcast platform you listen to, Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play. Um, uh, yeah, check us out there and a lot more to come in the coming weeks. Awesome, Garrett. And that's great. Uh, thanks again for being on the pod today. Really appreciate your time. Uh, excited for what you're working on. Best of luck. Thank you, Mark. Thank you.